Hey, good morning. Welcome to everybody who's online with us as well. Um, excited to be able to have this time to worship together this morning. You know, we have been presenting these videos. We're going to continue to present them. Love for you to hear from people who are serving the mission here at Canoe Creek and uh, the, the impact that it has, which is so important. You know, it, Canoe Creek has a reputation of doubling down when things happen. For example, when this whole uh, virus issue happened and we were shutting down. Uh, one of the things that we talked about is, we, are we going to continue to give financial support to our missionaries? And the answer was very clear, yes. And we came up with some plans as to what would happen if our giving dropped, how would that impact, you know. But we, I think that the Lord has blessed what we do because of that, you know. And so right now, it may not seem like we need help in family ministries area because Right now, we only have early childhood meeting. But here's the thing. We know things are going to come back to normal at some point, and we're looking forward to that. And when they are normal, we have a medium-sized church of, of children and students that meet at this building. We have nearly 250, 300 children and students every Sunday morning in this space. And, I mean, that takes an army of people whose hearts are dedicated to Christ. And I'm so thankful for people like Troy, or last week you saw the video, like Nikki. They have the desire to go and move forward with these students, sharing the love of Christ with them. There's all kinds of areas, whether it's through the worship team, through the tech team, welcome team, even people who clean this facility uh, to serve the mission here at Canoe Creek. So use a connect card in front of you. If you're like, hey, I want to serve the mission, let us know. We'll get in touch with you, let you help you get connected. Or use uh, the app, the church app. You can just search up Canoe Creek in the app store and download the app and click on serve there and, and get involved. So listen, we are continuing in a worship series that we started last week. It is in the letter written to the Hebrews, and uh, it is a letter that gives some clear themes about the superior nature of Jesus Christ. For that reason, I'm not like preaching through the letter beginning to end, which sometimes I know, listen, I'm a little OCD myself. I really like just like that neatness of some things, but I'm, I'm wanting to look at the neatness of the theme. So I just want to hammer that theme over and over again. So this week we're going to continue to do that. Remember, we're answering three questions, or I'm inviting you to engage with three questions anytime you hear a message in this series. And the first one is simply this, is Jesus superior in my life? That's the first question. You know, let, let's be inquisitive and objective about that with community asking for real advice. The next one is simply, what have I put ahead of Jesus? You know, we asked this last week, what important things have I made superior things? There are important things in all of our lives. The question is, are they as important as Jesus? And the answer is always no. And sometimes those things get ahead of our relationship with Jesus. And the third question is, what's my next step today? What's the next step that I need to take to, to have a better relationship with Jesus where he is superior? Because the letter is written to remind us of a very important theme. Jesus is superior over all creation. Uh, he is superior sacrifice. He is a superior priest or mediator between us and God. And on and on and on. This is what the letter presents to us. And so I want to continue with that this morning. I want to look at something really important. Uh, we're going to stay in chapters 8 through 10, just that, that segment that talks about the fact that Jesus is a superior sacrifice. Uh, that's where we're going to keep focusing. We looked at that last week. And I know that that means we have to address this issue with blood. Can't have a sacrifice 
without having blood. And I realize that that is just odd sometimes. And, and I'm going to address that here in a few minutes because some people look at the Christian religion and they see it as violent. They see it as bloody and offensive. And, and to be honest with you, from a, you know, just a quick perspective, a quick look, I can understand that. I can see why people would see that. But I want to address that more, more deeply in a moment. First, I want us to recognize some very interesting connections. I think this is so important to seeing the overall theme and how important it is to us right now in this moment, relative. The connections are with the creation, with God in the Garden of Eden, with the temple and with the church right now. And there's some unique parallels and comparisons. And, and they all have to do with, there's a lot of things we could talk about in those connections and we can go very deep in it. Only got a few minutes to nail this down. Uh, but let me just simply say, I want us to focus in on the presence of God. I think that's so important because God understands our deep concerns with being alone. I think that a lot of us, if, if we were to be honest and boil it down, while the fear of death may be one of the greatest fears that we have, if we were to look at it, that fear of being alone or not having somebody to be with me in community, it might be running a close second, and there's some times where it may even be a greater than that because it's a significant fear. God knows that God's answered that fear from the beginning of time. He's created us for community. He's always desired to have his presence with us to the point of shedding his own blood, which is really what we hear in this letter. So let me make these connections. First of all, the frequency of sevens interesting, right? God created the, uh, the, the world in which we know it, the universe, in seven days. He spoke into creation every day, and on the seventh day, he entered into his rest and his rule over creation by being present with humanity in the garden. All right? And then think about this. When God gave instructions to Moses to build the tabernacle, he did so in seven divine speeches uh, to build this place that we'll see here in a minute, but the presence of God is supposed to dwell in this place among his people now that they had been removed from the garden, all right? Uh, just as in creation, he separated the light from the darkness, and there's these separations created. In the design of the temple, there are separations created. Uh, matter of fact, you can see this first cut view of, of the broader area where there's certain places you couldn't go past this place, and, and it all led to that central place where the Holy of Holies is and God's presence dwelled. This next image will show you a little bit tighter view of that. You can see how that place, the Holy of Holies, is all the way to the back of the temple. It's closed off by this veil. And even the high priest, that is the person selected that year to offer these special sacrifices, even that individual is only allowed to go into this place one time a year, and he had to go through all kinds of rituals to prepare him for going into the presence of God. Interesting connections and parallels there as well. Now, in the second creation account, maybe you didn't know that there's two creation accounts. Genesis chapter 1, verse one verses 1 starting, you have the first creation account. On this day he did this, on this day he did that. Then chapter 2, you're probably sitting there reading and going, wait a minute, didn't I just read this? Well, because it gives you the, the order of creation again. But in that account, it emphasizes the land in which the humanity dwelled and God's presence with them in that land. Still, once again, bringing that there. And some of the imagery that came into the temple was symbolic of the imagery in that garden. For example, the menorah, which there's a picture of it up here. 
the menorah represents the tree of life, or this idea of a tree. And uh, you'll probably notice there's seven, uh, you know, branches off of the menorah. Interesting concepts that where they constantly overlap, bringing us back to this one simple idea: uh, God's always wanting to be present with His people. So there's the Levites and the priests. They came from a tribe called Levi of God's people. They were tasked with working in the temple, working in the presence of God. And uh, think about this. From the very beginning of time, humanity, Adam and Eve, essentially the first priests, were placed into the garden, tasked with what? Working the garden in the presence of God. Interesting connections and the same ideas overlapping there as well. So in essence, the first humans, like I said, were priests, but as a result of their choice to rule over themselves, to have full reign in my life, God, I know that you said X, Y, Z, but I want A, B, C. And, and because of that, they were uh, purchasing for themselves a one-way ticket out of the garden. They were placed outside of the garden, outside of where the presence of God was, was dwelling. And then think about this. God's people decided, we're going to worship you on our terms. We're going to worship you in form rather than true heart and sacrifice. What did that lead to? It led to the destruction of the temple. Once again, God taking his people and saying, I'm removing my presence from you. Interesting connections. And, and it brings us to a place where we start to ask this question, you know, um, what does it really mean to have the presence of God in my life? Because from the very beginning of time, if we look at God's word clearly, we see that he has a desire to be with us. He knows that we have a desire to not be alone. And, and he knows that even though we can have very important relationships in our lives, relationship I have with my spouse, very important relationship I have with my kids, and my kids with me, very important, very important relationships in my life. But here's the reality, and this is the strong and difficult reality. No matter how much I love or we love each other in those relationships, they are never perfect, and they are never permanent. There's only one relationship I know that I can have where it's always permanent. I will never be alone. And that is my relationship with an eternal God who's preparing an eternal place, who has demonstrated to me he always wants to be in my presence or me present with him. And so as we look at that, as we think about that, uh, we start thinking about this idea of being in the presence of God. Because here's the reality, and this is why I love that first song we sang, the idea of every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That is, every single one of us in this room, all those who are watching online, and people who don't even know or don't care, are on a collision course, a one-way street intersection with a face-to-face -face encounter with the presence of God. Whether you're excited about it, whether you're looking forward to it, whether you're preparing your heart for it or not, it is going to happen. We firmly believe that because of what the scriptures guide and direct us here at Canoe Creek. And so to declare that is so important. We're all on that collision course to come into the most perfect, the most powerful presence of God in a way that just makes your jaw drop. I don't know about you. You guys know that when I come into the presence of the ocean, that's where I really love to see some amazing things. I love big waves, so I love seeing big waves crash. And I've been at places at different times where I'm like, wow, and my jaw's 
crashing, and I just can't wait. I'm excited to get out in that water, ride those waves. But there, it's, like a, it's like a seared picture in my mind. I can still see places. Uh, that I can go back to 1999 and look at a wave breaking and think, I remember that because it was such an awestruck moment. Now, I can't even begin to imagine what it must be like to come into the full presence of God. To fall down on my face, it could only be the most amazing thing I'm ever going to experience. And I'm, I'm anticipating that. I'm looking forward to that. It's a promised event that I'm excited about. And here's the thing. I never discount somebody's personal experience because I've never found that to be beneficial in having relationships with people. Listen, what somebody else's personal experience is, it's their personal experience. But if you want to tell me, hey, Ross, I experienced the full presence of God, you better be glowing like the sun when you come to tell me. You know what I'm saying? Because that is one of those experiences we don't even see in the scriptures, people getting that in its fullest entirety. And some who only get pieces of it, they literally do glow as a result of it. You know, I just think it's going to be something where it's going to be unmeasurably amazing. And here's something that somebody described for me one time. Imagine experiencing that. Imagine coming into that presence. And then essentially, I take C.S. Lewis's view on this. God basically says, listen, you've never really desired to be in my presence. You've never desired to have a relationship with me. Uh, Therefore, I'm going to grant you the wish that you want. You have the eternal opportunity to live now without my presence ever being there. And every day, every week, every month, every year from that moment forward, all you ever do is return to that door wanting to walk back through it again for all of eternity, desiring that presence that you can't define, describe, but you just know it is powerful, it is perfect, and I want it. The presence of God is a powerful thing, and he has demonstrated how he's tried to bring it into the lives of humanity over and over again. Now, with that in mind, we ask, how can I even begin to prepare myself for that kind of a presence? I'm glad you asked, because I'm going to talk about it, all right? 1 Corinthians 6, I love these two verses about the church. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Ah, isn't that awesome? Who is in you? whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You're bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Bought at a price. What? The superior sacrifice and the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ is the price. And we receive this gift of the indwelling presence of God to have part and peace, to not only know, but to also grow as a result of it. This is the definition of the church. This is God's new covenant where we were ushered out of the garden and out of his presence because we rejected his plan, because we rejected to worship him in a way that is according to his terms, the temple was destroyed. And now a new, perfect, pleasing temple is here. That's each and every single one of us, where the gift of God's Holy Spirit is put in us, not only to go share Christ with our world, but to become somebody that we could never imagine so that we are becoming somebody more prepared for the full presence of God's uh, perfect in glorious nature and time to come. Love this verse. Look at how the apostle Peter says the same thing in his letter in chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. He says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God, and uh, precious to him, speaking of Jesus, you also, we, the church, like living stones, were being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God 
through Jesus Christ. I love the imagery. Powerful reminder, clear picture of how God is consistently throughout time giving us an opportunity, a structure, a plan in which we can dwell in his presence, even though it may be limited, even though it may be veiled by the evil and struggle in this world. He is there and he's preparing for those who are faithful to him, something beyond what we could ever imagine to experience his presence for all of eternity. What a powerful couple of verses. One of the things I really love about these verses too, Listen, society will create social constructs for us to try and buy into, and sometimes they partly agree with the Scriptures, but they partly bring in worldly ideas that cause us to deviate from the Scriptures without getting us to do it wholeheartedly because we don't realize what we're doing. This socially constructed idea in our culture that Christianity is individualism. Just go to a church, sit down for an hour, hear something, go home, never interact. This is not God's plan. Look at those two verses, what Paul says in Corinthians, what Peter says in his letter. They're all dripping with community. And we talked about that a lot last week. Go listen to the message last week if you missed it. It'll give you some clarity and direction on that as well. But let me just simply say, all of this, what we're talking about here in the church, is possible because of what? The shedding of blood. Now, I realize that it can be offensive to some. It's weird. It's odd. But we talked about this in in just part and piece last week. Let me just say it kind of in a different way this week. The shedding of blood can be negative. I get it. Like, if I have blood gushing out of my body, help me, right? That's not a good thing. I'm not looking forward to that. Uh, Give me some uh, first aid because I need it. But at the same time, too, right, no child comes into this world without the shedding of blood. New life doesn't happen without the shedding of blood. So with that in mind, there's at least two things that happen as a result of the shedding of blood, and not just ours, only one, Jesus Christ, the superior sacrifice that he is. First of all, we come to understand the depth of this world's problem. It helps us understand the depth of this world's problem, right? And also the opportunity to have relationship with God. That is the opportunity for the presence of God to be with me and me to look forward to it being perfect. It being presence without the sin in my life and the struggle that I have to always want him there, to do everything on a daily basis and every action to bring Jesus to the situation and be excited and proud of what I did for him to see it, right? Um, So these two things that the shedding of blood makes possible. Let's talk about the depth of the world's problem first, okay? Let me read it for you, a couple of verses. This is where I'm going to jump around in Hebrews, but mainly in that sections 8 through 10. Follow along in your Bible if you can keep up, or use the Bible app if you want to be able to follow our sermon notes. They're in there as well. But Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, this is what we read. It says, But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, that is to say the temple, that is not made with human hands, that is to say it is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Jesus obtained eternal redemption. Not you, not me, not us. Jesus is the one who obtained it, all right? Then look at chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, starting halfway through verse 26. 
But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. He obtained it through the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once, we can't get around that, and after that to face judgment, so Christ has sacri- was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And we, he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. All right? The depth of the world's problem is serious, is significant. And my concern is, is that we aren't really taking it as seriously as the church as we should. Let me give you an example. Listen, I am all about the idea of social justice or social reforms. But listen, where there is social reform, but there is no spiritual renewal, it is of no value. If somebody is clothed and fed and cared for, listen, Canoe Creek is all about that. We got it all over our building. We are for our community. We're for feeding students. We're for education of young people. You know, we're for helping at the domestic violence shelter. We're for our first responders. You go on and on and on. We're for all these things. But if those things do not lead to a spiritual renewal for somebody where they see Jesus, accept Jesus, and invite the presence of God in their life, then it doesn't really lead where it's supposed to. Here's the reality, and I know it's a difficult reality, and it may seem a pessimistic reality, but in all sincerity, it's what gives me hope. Because I tell you what, when I do a study of history, there is no system in this world, there is no government in this world, there's no person in this world, there's no idea in this world, there's no plan in this world, there's no group in this world, there is nothing in this world that gives me the hope that Jesus Christ gives me. They will all fail us. This world is doomed. Only Jesus Christ will bring about the perfect presence of God. It's going to end. It's going to come to an end. And as much as I am a patriot, America's not the answer. There's no other nation that's the answer. The only answer is Jesus Christ. My concern is, is the church is becoming more consumed with the idea that we just need to fix the world. Listen, I'm all about fixing stuff. I'm all about fixing my family, fixing my community, uh, fixing this, fixing that. Bringing about the presence of God in an evil world, which is the role of the church, because the presence of God is dwelling in his church through his spirit. As we read, living stones being built up to be a spiritual house, a royal priesthood, to go share Jesus with our world. I'm all about it, but to think I'm going to fix it, to think we're going to fix it, to think this politician's going to fix it or that structure's going to fix it is dead wrong. And the church needs to recognize this. And we need to be careful about how we expect this person or this system or this structure or give them too much credit for what can be made right in our world. The only credit goes to Jesus Christ because at the end of the day, It's not a pessimistic view. It's my hope of what he can do, that his church can make an influence and a difference in this world so that people can hear about Jesus, invite the presence of God in their life, and look forward to what he has promised as we all look forward to it. Everything, let me put it to you this way. Let me sum it up. Everything but Jesus will fail you. Even I come through for my wife on occasion every now and then. Listen, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while, right? All right? But Jesus comes through every time, all the time. He never fails. And, and when we look at the world as something we're going to fix, we're going to make right, we're just wrong. The depth of our problem is significant. Significant to the point of what? 
God had to send his son to shed his blood, which is so important for us to think about and look at. Now, Hebrews 9.15 says this, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that we get to be a part of, uh, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. It's promised. He doesn't promise me that this world, I'm going to make it right, I'm going to fix it, I'm going to vote this person in or vote that person out or create a system so that we're going to make it all a utopia. That's not what's promised. What's promised is a future place where God's perfect presence is going to be the light that gives us all light and gives us all life and joy. And what motivates me to share Christ with my world right now is that promise. I'm not motivated to share Christ with my world because I'm going to make this world new and better and different. I'm motivated because Jesus one day will come back and he will take us all to be in a place where it will be perfect. And until then, we need to tell as many people about him as we can, which is what we talk about when we talk about sharing Christ with our world. The depth of the problem is deeper than sometimes we're willing to dig. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Now listen, the opportunity for a relationship with God is also revealed by the shedding of Jesus' blood. Look at Hebrews 10, 22. It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. If you're here last week, you know that was part of my core verse that I read. I wanted to dive into it again because I want to focus just simply on the idea of conscience. Notice it says we're drawing near to God and it's because of a clear conscience being, being cleaned, a guilty conscience being cleaned. And the idea there is our conscience is our self-evaluation of whether or not I can be in the presence of someone else, which begs the question, are you fit for the presence of God? Are you fit for the presence of God? The answer for me, if I'm out of Christ and I know where I was to where I am now, is a resounding no. I'm not fit for the presence of God. But because of Christ, I am. And here's the beauty in that, right? Somebody asks you, are you a Christian? Which simply means to be in Christ. The answer is resounding, yes. You don't have to say, I'm trying. But see, so much of our mentality is wrapped around that idea, right? Somebody says, are you a Christian? Well, I'm really trying Well, guess what? You're going to spend your whole life trying. You're never going to get there because it has to happen through surrender to Jesus Christ. When we're asked if we're a Christian, you're either in Christ or you're not. He's either died for your sin or he is not. You've either surrendered to him or you have not. Now, I understand the idea of trying to surrender daily, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. But there's two very clear things in Scripture, and we're talking about one of them here, and that is the idea that we can say yes very clearly, because it's what he's done. It's the blood that he's shed. It's the sacrifice that he's made and why his sacrifice is superior. And it's so important for us to understand and for us to trust. Now, that leads to the second thing. And this is the other thing that happens with us. We notice that this verse says, being made holy. Uh, The idea that we are being made holy. Let me give you verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 14. It says this, For by one sacrifice, he was made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I love that idea, the ongoing action. 
the, the continual movement of that. Listen, we like to define things at Canoe Creek. So we define what a disciple is so that we can measure that and see how we're growing spiritually. For example, we define a disciple as somebody who knows Jesus, is following or is being transformed by Jesus, and is on a mission with Jesus. All right? We love that second idea is being transformed because it's a continual process. While on the first hand, we can say with a resounding yes, I am a Christian. I am in Christ. It's because of what Jesus has done. It's because of his blood that's been shed. Basically, we are justified. We are made able, prepared to be in the presence of God when he comes back for everyone who desires to be in his presence. And it's not because of how awesome I am. It's not because of how hard I worked at being a Christian. But there is a second side of that. And it's brings, it comes up in this statement, being made holy. That is, I pray I'm a little bit holier today than I was yesterday. I pray that I'm a little bit better at sharing Christ with my world and trusting in the presence of God, trusting the full measure of God's grace in my life to make me and prepare me for his presence um, that is to say alongside with Paul that we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We know that we've been justified by the free gift that Jesus Christ gives. But as a result of that, I don't have to work for the love of God. I don't have to work for the ultimate uh, salvation of God. I don't have to work for God to want to be in my presence and me be in his presence. He gives that to me. That is what brings down the blinders and gives me an encouragement to be somebody that I never imagined that I can be and to serve and live in such a way that I'm trying to share Christ with my world in every last thing that I do. These two concepts are summed up in God's Word in two kind of biblical words, justification, sanctification. That is that justification is a work that God has done for me that I cannot do for myself. And the question is, is do I understand the depth of my problem is just as deep as the depth of this world's problem? I can't fix it. This is why Jesus' sacrifice is superior to any other sacrifice ever made. This is why the shedding of the blood of Jesus is such an important reality. And then that idea of sanctification is, as a result of me understanding the depth of God's love and his desire to be in my presence and me to be in his presence, he's given this to me as a great gift. I have no other desire but to try and make every day, every thought, every action, every moment about being closer to him. A perfect God in every way wants that presence with me. I want to have that presence with him. And as we think about that, having the Holy Spirit given to us as a gift to help us become more than we ever imagined we can be, to lead us to a place where each and every day we are going out into our world in every moment, in every statement, every thought, we're trying to do one thing. And so one thing that's the vision of this church, and we say it over and over again every Sunday, that is share Christ with our world. Because he is the only one who has a hope for it. He is the only one who has a hope for me. And if we try to replace that hope with anything other than Jesus, we're acting and living in such a way that he's not the superior person God tells us he is through his word. November 1955, Billy Graham was speaking at Cambridge. He was invited to speak there, and there was some controversy around it because it was like, well, I know he's a great guy, he's a wonderful guy, yada, 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 but he's not an intellect. You know, he's not, he's not, a, he's not a professor. You know, he doesn't have that kind of deep education. And some were concerned, he's a fundamentalist. 
You know, he's going to come in here and just tell us Jesus is the only way. So uh, Billy Graham was actually concerned about it, nervous about it, spent a lot of time preparing eight different messages that he would share, and he tried to prepare these messages in very intellectual, very convincing, very apologetic-type ways. Um, And three nights, starting on Sunday night, packed house every night, shared a really great message, and he said, but I never felt the sense of something happening every night that I shared these amazing messages. He said, so finally on Wednesday, I had these eight messages, three of which had already been presented. And he said, I just totally abandoned them. And so I just started to write a new message that talks about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the shedding of his blood because there's power in the blood of Jesus Christ. And it was that night, the first night out of the the first four that 400 people stayed behind and wanted to really know what steps do I need to take to actually have a relationship with Jesus Christ to bring him in to the, the presence of my life and me be present with him. Uh, not because he said something amazingly intellectual, uh, not because he said something that was very convincing proofs, not because he said something that caught somebody's eye about you know this unique little uh, thing out here over there in the universe, just because he simply preached a message about the shedding of blood by a superior person who was a superior sacrifice, it moved people to consider, how do I live? How should I live? And what should I do? One individual who was a very brilliant young man became a uh, preacher. He went into the ministry as a result of this. He was being interviewed by somebody who asked, where did Christian things begin for you? And he said, easy, Cambridge, 1955. He said, I was there on Wednesday night. Because he said, uh, what, what happened? What was it? Where? He said, it was Billy Graham mission. It was Wednesday night. And then the guy asked, how did it happen? He said, you know, I don't know. All I do know is that when I walked out of there that night, I finally realized that Jesus Christ loved me deeply because he had shed his blood for me, because he had made a sacrifice in my place. And I knew that as a result of that, my life could be far more than it was, and I needed to go share Jesus with my world. That's what we do at Canoe Creek. That's why we gather together on Sundays. That's why we invite people into Christian community throughout the week in different various ways and encourage that because we know that that's what inspires us. That's what builds us. That's what holds us accountable. That's what makes us in a person who knows the depth of the world's problems, who understands the reality of having a relationship with God. We want more of his presence, and we want to bring his presence into our world as much as possible. This is the role of the church. That's why it's the vision of Canoe Creek. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word here. Help it to settle into our hearts over the week. Uh, Help it to be the first thing on our minds as we wake up each and every day. Uh, Lord, I'm certain that we have a lot of important things this week, some things that aren't important at all, but we just think that they are, and they're going to have the opportunity to take uh, control of our mind take us off course. And all of a sudden, Thursday, we wake up thinking, man, I have not spent any time in the presence of the Lord in prayer or in scripture or whatever. Father, I'm praying right now that you would help us throughout this week uh, to, to make you that priority, to make your son, Jesus Christ, superior so that as we go throughout our days, everything that's said, everything that's done, uh, we have you in mind. And we do everything with the intention of sharing your son with our world. 
And it may be through various physical ways. It may be through seeking uh, reform and certain things within our systems and structures, which is all good. They're all important. But let us remember, Lord, as we seek to do those important things in various ways or help somebody in the physical sense and their physical needs, that what is superior is Jesus Christ because he's the only one who can fix our situation. And he's the only one who has a plan for our world that's going to actually happen and is promised. Help our minds be set on that, Lord, this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.